Gotta get that desalinization plan going. We've only been working on that since, I don't know, the 30s. <laughs> I haven't come up with anything. No. Desalination, desalinization. One of those. It's one of those. Well, you know what, though? If they just have Shivam on the case, they could desalt as much of the ocean as possible. So mm. that's that's my theory. Yeah, he definitely is like the calming voice of yeah. the, the, to the salt community. The pro-salt <laughs> lobby. <laughs> just filters it until just pure, right. fresh, drinkable water. Just a, like, sodium-free <laughs> commander situation. Right. Uh... Welcome to episode number 68 of The Memory Jar. As always, we are here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Prestwood, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, how are you doing this week? As you hike over the crest of the hill, you see the entrance to the dungeon that Vilna described at the inn. A sign outside the entrance says, Do not enter with a smear of blood. Do you wish to rest before you proceed? Huh, well, it sounds like I'm coming from the inn, so I'm going to assume I've already rested. Uh, I will unsheath my sword and speak the command word as it lights up with magical flame. Can I roll a perception check? Before that, as you open the dungeon, shuffle up and proceed to opening game actions. Shuff, shuffle, like, would I have the deck of many things? I thought we were playing D&D. Yeah, we're playing D&D, but in magic. Whoa, mind blown. What an incredible <laughs> show intro. Yes, we are. A new set means a new set facts show, and we're going to go over... Dungeons and Dragons Adventures of the Forgotten Realms this summer stand in for the core set. We have a lot of cool cards to go over, some dungeons to venture into, and we want to talk about the set in the context of magic history. So create your characters, prepare your inventory, and make sure you have all of your dice ready. Before we do that, we're going to roll our own d20 and crack open the memory jar. This week's random card is Urza's Factory, originally an uncommon from Time Spiral. Urza's Factory is a land Urza's. It taps for a colorless... Or you could pay 7 to tap it to create a 2-2 colorless assembly worker artifact creature token. So, as you can see, it's an Urza's land. Often forgotten, totally overshadowed by the other Urza's lands, the Tron lands, and of course now Urza's Saga, the Urza's land that is also an enchantment saga. Yeah, that one's weird. This is the oft-forgotten throwback to Mishra's Factory that was in Time Spiral. And it's, uh, I mean, it eventually makes a bunch of 2-2s, but I don't know. Yeah, this ain't Mishra's factory. I mean, that was much better. Mishra had a better factory and a better bobble. I have to say, Mishra wins the head-to-head card competition. Yeah, I mean, Urza had different pieces of eyewear and a hot tub and and a miter, (laughs) but it's just not the same. I mean, if you had seen Mishra's workshop, you would know. Mishra really had the goods. I don't know how Mishra didn't win the Brothers' War, to be honest. Yeah, really, really disappointing. Possibly because Urza was like an indestructible, disembodied head. For some yeah. time. Mishra never really kind of got there. No. But I should also note that this is the Champs and States Urza's Factory promo that mm-hmm. Scryfall pulled up for us, which is the full frame, giant, cool... I, I guess it's a factory. It's just... It's destroyed, though. It's kind of weird yeah. and sad. Yeah, this is the full art version of the regular art. I know that. I have a funny story about Urza's Factory. So for a Secret Santa one year among my friends, we... We're picking out different stuff, and I want. I said for my want, I wanted to get a place out of the Urza lands. Of course, I wasn't specific, so the person who had my name drawn decided it would be 
hilarious if they gave me about 40 or 50 Urza's factories. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I got. I got 40 or 50 Urza's factories, which I still have to this day, and I'm never going to get rid of them because it's the perfect troll gift for a Secret Santa. So yeah, I, if, I was going to say, I think that's incredible. That's perfect. You can't really beat it. And uh, yeah, just I just remember my, my reaction still to this. I think this was right before Pandemic 2, so it's like a fantastic yeah. font of like, oh. So. Well, and at 27 cents a piece, you're, you're rich, my friend. So, so rich with Urza's factories. <laughs> well, that's, that's a nice random card. But you wake up from a cold sweat for a moment. You can't remember where you are or how you got there. The thatched bed is drenched with your sweat. And as you groggily wake up, you notice a map just outside your reach. What What are we in? So, like, normally there's co- magic core sets in the summer, but I've played some D&D computer games. What exactly is the set about, David? You, you play a lot of D&D. What are the Forgotten Realms? So, the Forgotten Realms are an area called, in Faerun. It's a major continent on the planet of Toril. It's a setting for a lot of different D&D modules and some classic computer games, including Baldur's Gate. I played a lot of Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2. Neverwinter Nights, Icewind Dale. Also the setting for a significant number of novels in the the D&D universe. I played a lot of the games when I was a kid, including the old Goldbox PC games, um, which some of our listeners may be familiar with. But I've only been playing actual tabletop D&D for about two years. And so my experience is a little more limited than folks. I will say the flavor in this set really, really hit for me with that even that limited experience. It really does feel like we are in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. And that's what this is. This is a core set that has like the Dungeons and Dragons kind of sheen all over it. And it's great. Like you get a lot of cool call outs. Like we now have the first alphabetic card in the entire magic history is now plus two mace, which is kind of wild, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, but it has all these cool different call outs and references. And it's, it's very like when I was, as these spoilers are coming, I was like, Oh, this reminds me a lot of playing those computer games when I was younger. And this is, you know, it's, it's just a home run when it comes to that. There's not really a story per se either, but it's just like here we're in D and D we're playing in the planes of D and D and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, you know, they hit some particularly flavorful cards. Obviously, we already had Fireball and Lightning Bolt, and so they they had already taken care of some of those classic spells, but we have Magic Missile in the set. We have a card for Tiamat, the the big evil dragon villain. The Planeswalker Grandmaster of Flowers is Bahamut, the, the good dragon god in disguise. You have Beholders, you have Displacer Beasts, you have a lot of dungeons and a lot of dragons, you know... They really just ran through all of these kind of D&D tropes. You have a lot of dungeons. You have a lot of dragons. You have some winky, naughty references like Split the Party, a card that has the flavor text Don't. You know, as D&D players know, you, you never split the party. My D&D group just finished the Tomb of Annihilation campaign. And so you have Asurarak, which is, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce that, who's a villain in that. You have the actual Dungeon Tomb of Annihilation. There were Froghemoths. There were Yuan-Ti Malisons. And so all of these things are kind of coming together. And it's like, if you have played any amount of D&D, you just recognize these cards. And I was at my LGS the other day, and D&D players repeatedly came in looking for these cards. So if their goal is to sell magic cards to D&D players... 
I think they're successful. Similarly, I think they were successful in selling the D&D books set in, for example, Theros to Magic players. Before we get into the specifics of the actual set, let's go back to our game. Okay, Steve, this is what's called a character sheet. You chop your stats, your items, and your skills on this. Um, but where are the Dungeons and Dragons? I was promised both. Did your Shane Bolt start running 100 meters a week out of the womb? Uh, well... You're gonna have to grow a lot before you'll even sniff a dungeon, you rookie. So let's talk a little bit about dungeons. Yes. We've got an entirely new card type. It's not even really a card. No, it's in the command zone. It's like a pseudo-emblem. It's super weird. Yeah, so these dungeons, they're these three cards... Uh, hopefully, if you've got a pre-release kit, they have these great two-sided foil versions of these. They're a little extra thick. They'll be nice and sturdy, so you can use them as needed. They start outside the game. They only enter the game when a player, quote, ventures into the dungeon, end quote. There's no other way to interact with dungeons than venturing. So they're kind of like emblems. So yeah, if you think about how creatures with venture, when you venture into dungeon, just kind of have... These effects from either Lost Mine at Fandelver, Tomb of Annihilation, or, or Dungeon of the Mad Mage staple to them, they're pretty fine. Like, I don't know, like, they're, they're just like these little, like, kind of sagas, but really it's just like all turning all these random creatures into just these weird ETB effects. That seems fine. Like, I like it. It's a, it's, it's, it plays a lot better than I thought it would. Yeah, it's been interesting. I think about it in the context of Learn and Lesson from Strixhaven, where sometimes a Learn card you're drawing one of your lessons, it feels like it's worth a card, sometimes more than a card, because even if those are overcosted, you get your selection. These effects are really small. Scry one is certainly not draw a card. Creating a treasure token is not a thing. They're like a third to a half of a card of value. And so right. you you know you're not you wouldn't want to play a four mana one one that ventured into the dungeon, but some of the other bodies are enough or they have some other effects. And it's interesting to look at the three dungeons, you know, Tomb of Annihilation, you can if you really want to complete a dungeon you could do it in three steps. It's a little painful. Or you could do it in four. Lost Mine of Fandelver is kind of like the middle dungeon, which you can do in four. And unlike Tomb of Annihilation, has generally positive effects. And then if you're really going for it, Dungeon of the Man Mage has, I think, seven steps. But the yes. payoffs at the end are higher. And so you there's an interesting choice to be made there. And it's actually a little annoying on Arena thus far. I found my opponents, when they first venture into a dungeon, enter some kind of absurd decision paralysis where they take 30 <laughs> seconds and the road starts going because they just can't figure out, do I want to gain a life or scry one? Or do I want each player to lose a life? I can't decide. Right. It's funny because from talking with friends and my own limited experience, um, it's, I almost always just go into Lost Mine of Fandelver. Like, I don't, it, it has a lot of these trinket effects, but they're all fine. Like, I'm never going to not feel bad about picking one of these right i will be interested to see if 17 lands or one of the other sites that tracks a lot of these things for limited is able to tell us eventually what dungeon is most ventured into how far people get how many times they venture in a game i think lost mine of Fandelver is definitely going to be the one that people are heading into most the rooms of the dungeon are variable enough where you can get whatever positive effect you need and people are really just gunning for that draw card on step right. four I mean, every single step above it is fine. Like, yeah. putting a plus one, plus one counter in a creature is great. Draining them is great. Uh, yep. Making a creature minus four, minus... Anyway, uh, here's a question, though. Uh, do you think these will return to magic? Is there a space or is there a set that might want to have dungeons like this again? 
it's certainly possible. I think the challenge is the venture rules are when you venture, you get to pick from any of these dungeons. It's not like you have to draft them. You just automatically have, a, have access to them. And so if they add more dungeons without changing that rule, then it's going to seriously create some confusion and some paralysis for players. I think we could see them again. You know, the Zendikar sets have been kind of loosely patterned on D&D, and they have that adventure theme. They could also certainly have a, a dungeon theme. What do you think about that? I think Zendikar is our best bet. I could also see something like if Innistrad gets weird, like mm. they have dungeons with Innistrad or something. But, you know, honestly, it's magic. They can kind of shoehorn this into so many different areas that it's more of a win, not if. Maybe we'll have a future D&D set. There's, there's no reason why we couldn't go back to the Forgotten Realms or, I mean, Dragonlance or something else cool. There, there are a lot of options and, and different things we could do. Well, yeah. let's talk about one of the other mechanics, dice rolling. One of the things probably most associated with uh, D&D. From silver border to black border, the trend continues. We have another thing that started in the unsets, and now we're doing it in black border cards. So dice rolling in AFR is 20-sided dice only. And unlike D&D, there are no modifiers where you're adding a positive or a negative to your dice roll, with one small exception, and that is the deck of many things. I think they thought it was okay to do here because it's a mythic, but... It, with that one, you tap it and you roll a d20 and subtract the number of cards in your hand. Right. And the reason they do that is because there's a great benefit for 20. It's also kind of flavorful with a deck of many things, if you understand that powerful magical item from D&D. Um, I'll note that I guess this isn't true in the commander set, which has all of the different dice and several of the cards have modifiers. But I love that they kept it that simple for the, our core set replacement. You don't want it to be too variable on too many different cards. What's interesting is that the rules have been modified to indicate that when car cards care about rolling the die, it excludes the planar die. So, mm -hmm. you know, plane chase, not included, and you're not going to have to bring dice rolling back to dominate your local plane chase league, right? Like, <laughs> so, so don't bring all of your AFR cards to your plane chase league at your local game store? Unfortunately. Planar die will not, will not count. That makes sense. Yeah, interesting that they had to create a special rules exception that the planar die does not count as a die for those purposes. <laughs> it's too cool. Too cool for D&D. &D. Yeah. Well, what do you think about the the effects of these cards? I mean, they're they're nice. I, I, most of them have really fine floors that you know you wouldn't be unhappy to see. And then sometimes you spike it and it's really good, and other times you just it does slightly better than it can be. The perfect example is Genie wins here. It's fine as a three three flyer for three. You know, you that scries for one, and sometimes you scry more than that. Sometimes you scry two, and then on the off chance you sometimes scry three, and it's fantastic. But any of those is fine. I'm a big fan of the cards that have an extra bonus for when you roll a 20. You get the, mm -hmm. the classic D&D critical hit. I think that's a cool flavor, and it creates some cool story equity opportunities. You would think it would follow that I would like more of the cards to have something terrible happen when you roll a 1. I actually don't like that for the most part. I do like that they put that on treasure chest. Uh, the rare that if you roll a 1, the chest is trapped and you lose 3 life. That's the only effect. You've like paid 3 mana, then paid 4 and sacrificed it, and all you get is lose 3 life. Because that's, I don't know, it's a treasure chest. But I like that the cards do have that floor of they do something reasonable or they do something better than reasonable or, oh my gosh, I'm like super happy with how this turned out. The perfect example, it's the, there's um, contact another plane for you for an instant. Worst case scenario, you just draw two. Like that is, 
-hmm. inspiration. We've played this magic card before. People have been happy to play this magic card before. But if you manage to roll lucky, you could actually scry two and then draw two, or scry three and then draw three. And so it's that perfect encapsulation of like, yeah, I'll always pay for it to draw two at instant speed. But sometimes yeah. it gets better, and I'm totally happy with it. Yeah, our Twitter followers will know that my first roll of the format, limited format, was I played Contact Another Plane, and I rolled my 20, and I scryed three and drew three, and I felt really good. And I was like, we, we did it. And then I, I cast one the next game, and I rolled a one, and I just drew two, and I was like, ah, you know what, that's still fine. But uh, it, it didn't feel nearly as good. Sad. Yeah. So the next one we have are classes. It's a new type of enchantment. Uh, they're sort of like Level Up and Saga had a baby, but not really. Mm-hmm. So all the classes have three different levels, essentially. Uh, your base level is level one. That's what you get when you cast whatever mana you cast cast spell. You can pay additional mana to have it level up as a sorcery. And it gets another effect, and then there's a third level where you pay some more, and you get either a one-shot or a permanent effect. And it's really cool. It's like a, a level-up creature that's finally as an enchantment, and it's kind of like a world, pseudo-world enchantment type thing. I, I'm a big yeah. fan. I like it, and I like that they build on each other. I'll, I'll read one as an example. Wizard class is a single blue mana for an enchantment, and you get you have no maximum hand size, which is obviously just not worth a card by itself. No. But the second level, you can pay two and a blue, again at sorcery speed, and when the class becomes level two, you draw two cards. So now you just like paid for an expensive divination over two turns. But then level three for four and a blue says whenever you draw a card, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control, which in a game of limited can run away with the game eventually. And they're, they're all related. They all build on each other. They all kind of go in the same deck. And that's a really cool ability. I like that the card adds the ability of the previous level. So it's like when you're at level two or level three, you still have no maximum hand size. So that still becomes relevant. And I also think it's really interesting. You mentioned sagas and level up creatures. The crucial difference here is these cards don't have counters. So there's no proliferate tricks or anything else. But it's strange that it's kind of like the dungeons. You just kind of need to mark where on the card you are without using a counter. So that creates some, I think, tricky mechanics for paper gameplay. Certainly, as they think more about digital, maybe they're less concerned about that. But regardless, I think this is a super cool, flavorful way to display these classes. And they kind of run through all the major classes in the set. It makes me wonder if we're going to see something similar going forward. Uh, It's just interesting design space. Yeah, and there are a bajillion classes in D&D. So I'd love to see like a Heliomancer, which we have Heliomancers in magic but like let's let's make you a heliomancer let's make your creatures fly are you fly i don't know let's figure it out but i think there's more design space than they think there is and also it's magic you can make up classes for whatever set a thousand percent the kind of thing that you could see in like another modern horizons type set where they just put in one new class right right they're like ah yeah we want like a psionic sorcerer (laughs) you know some subclass or who knows right and, and just add on to it the last one is actually an ability word more than a mechanic it's pack tactics it's an attack trigger and when a creature that has pack tactics attacks as part of an attack with creatures power six or greater you get the effect so this is only in red and green and it super encourages attacking with your team or with big creatures yeah so i really like pack tactics it's like formidable but it's much more limited but i could Mm -hmm. see it having a much more appeal the difference being, formidable, you had to have eight creature, power worth of creatures anywhere on your board, and you got stuff. Whereas pack tactics, 
you have to attack, but it's also easier to trigger. You only need six power. That's pretty easy to get from two, three X's or whatever that you play. And it's just a nice little flavor add. Like something cre a creature can get first strike, or you can, you know, have creatures gain trample and such. I, I'm much more of a fan of this. I think there's a lot more design space for it that they could explore. And it's also very generic that you can put it into any other type of set that cares about having a swarm of creatures attack or something. Yeah, it's cool. I like that you can have a bunch of small creatures or you can have one giant creature and you still kind of get the same effect. The fact that you have to turn them sideways really does do some work here. I guess the last thing we should talk about, so we, so we talked about the actual ability word, are the flavor words you see on a lot of cards. So they're just like ability words. They have no inherent meaning. But unlike ability words, they're not even really a signpost for something. So I'll read one example that I really like. It's you find the villain's lair. It's one blue blue for a common. It's an instant. It says, choose one, foil their scheme, counter target spell, or learn their secrets. Draw two cards, then discard two cards. And so it's kind of telling you like what you're doing when you have found the villain's lair. These are your two options, foil their scheme or learn their secrets. And then it tells you what those things mean. I like that they're very flavorful. Like the flavor aspect definitely is a home run. And it makes it easier to communicate in a game once those cards become commonplace. Mm-hmm. They do add unnecessary words, and that's where I wonder if they're actually useful, because if you're adding these words in the text box, that means you, can only go, you can't go too complex with them, or you can't add cool, more cool stuff. Like, it has to be very basic, and it, there's, a, there's a limit between the ones that I think add a lot of flavor versus they're just doing it as a gimmick like there's that cleric that's one in a white and it has like cure light runes restore something else i i don't remember but it has these three different options and really they're all okay but like i don't know if you need to go overboard and give three different cleric spells to this one cleric see i really like it and the reason is because of that flavor and especially in the D D set some of these are actually the names of spells and so that can be very clever yeah i also just feel like in the last few sets we've had so much text in these cards that we've lost the flavor text we've kind of lost the flavor and these are just flavor text it's telling yeah. you like you know do you want to stop the villain or do you want to learn something from the villain i mean this particular card is kind of funny because it doesn't have the option that like i feel like every party i've been a part of would take which is like see if the villain wants to join your party <laughs> you know i don't know what what effect that would have but they are they are pretty linear i i love these cards as well because they're all like tiny charms and you know give me give me more choices but the flavor words really do add to it for me and i think it is a huge win i know i from what i understand i'm not in the majority there but i i love them i think they're fine i don't i'm not i don't get people who are naysayers about them but i just especially if you are wanting to hop into magic in going forward they're not going to include it which i think is a shame i think as you said it's a better flavor include but at the same time if you're not going to include them you have to be clear and it's kind of weird if they don't include them i think they could include more of this stuff but they also have to be careful about where they put it i love them and i'll fight anyone who doesn't love them except for you because you're like fine with them that, that's probably fine but anybody that's... who thinks they take away from the game you know find me let's go we just spent the past two years in magic hell like this is fine this is not oko everyone's gonna be okay it's fun, right? It's fun. We're having fun. We're all having fun here. As you break loose from the chains, you see that whomever captured you had the good grace to leave your belongings close by. Not as many as you had previously, 
but a few good reliable pieces that you can still use to get out of this mess. So, signature reprints of Adventures of the Forgotten Realm or D&D, or it's a very long name. Basically, the D&D core set. D ampersand D-A-F-R. What's so hard about that, <laughs> So hard. That's a lot of letters. Um, there's actually not many signature reprints in this set. No. You know, we got Bag of Holding. I was wondering if they would reprint that. I like that they moved it to Uncommon. Very flavorful. Still not the most incredible card, even if I kind of like it. Charm Sleep is our generic blue tap spell claustrophobia functional reprint. That was from Throne of Eldraine. And then we have Evolving Wilds, which, I mean, put that in every set, I'm in love, and Plummet. And that's about it. So, not much to talk about this week. None of these are big, constructed, playable cards. We're just, uh, yeah, staples. Yep. Um, in fact, when Bag of Holding was spoiled, and we talked about it in our release notes for that set, we were hypothetically thinking that this could be a future D&D set. How little we knew. That's right. How little we knew. Um, it's actually kind of nice not to have so many reprints because a we don't have to talk about as many signature reprints but b it would take away from the world like it would be kind of jarring to like see pithy needle you know in the set and you're like that has nothing to do with D D. you know this set feels a lot like a core set to me with the basic nature of some of the cards but that is the biggest divergence is core sets are usually where you get a ton of reprints and we just didn't and you know what fine totally fine as you rummage around the corpses of the fallen goblins, you notice the mace held by the slain goblin king glows a dull white aura. You pick up the mace and beckon for the wizard to help you identify it. As the wizard looks up and down the weapon, she frowns, furrows her bow, then curtly lets out, It's a plus one mace you already have better. Might as well save it for the merchants in Baldur's Gate. Hmm. So you're saying that plus one mace is obsolete? Uh, it's very obsolete. Uh, well, we're going to talk about Forced Obsolescence. This is about which cards in the set make some older cards totally obsolete. They are completely replaced by the new card, so that means it has to be the same color, the same cost or cheaper, and have the same or a better effect. We're also only talking about cards here that are newly making an old card obsolete. We're not going to kick cards down that are already in the dirt. That's right. Also, there may be some corner cases related to creature type or turning presumably negative effects like losing life into a positive... We're not about that. Kind of the perfect example is Colossal Dreadmaw means Crawworm is obsolete. You're never going to play Crawworm when you can play Colossal Dreadmaw. The Cathartic Reunion, however, does an obsolete Tormented Voice since they require different resources, which actually does come up a lot in Constructed Magic. That's right. Yeah, Cathartic Reunion does the job of Tormenting Voice better, but you have to discard two cards to cast instead of one. So Tormenting Voice, different resources, even if Cathartic Reunion has a better result. So let's kick these off. I'll hit the first one here. Boots of Speed. That's a single red for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus O and has haste, and it has equip for one. Straight up obsolete's Crystal Slipper from Throne of Eldraine, which was the same card, except it cost one generic and a red to cast. Uh, Crystal Slipper was already kind of on the edge of things I would consider for Popper Cube. Boots of Speed just goes right in. Just making it a single red to cast is so much better. I'm just surprised a Throne of Eldraine card got obsoleted. Who would have thought? <laughs> That, that is actually kind of wild. I didn't think we were going to see anything like that ever again. Speaking of cards we thought wouldn't get obsoleted, Deadly Dispute, which is one in black for an instant, as initial cost is to cast the spell, sacrifice an artifact or creature, draw two cards and create a treasure token. This obsolete costly plunder, which was originally from Ixalan, and uh, costly plunder not only draws you two cards, it doesn't create the treasure. 
Yeah, and that that additional treasure makes this card just much, much more desirable, especially because in a set where you're creating a lot of treasures, you can sacrifice a treasure to draw two cards, and then you it's like you keep the treasure. So oh yeah, yeah, big win there. Our next one, Dire Wolf Prowler, two and a green for a two two wolf. It has one and a green. Dire Wolf Prowler gains plus two plus two and gains haste until end of turn. Activate only once each turn. We're going way back, y'all. This obsolete's Rootwalla from Tempest, which was the same thing, except it doesn't get haste. This is a big one. This is a big one. I loved Rootwalla when I was a kid. Like, it's such a cool card. It's a lizard. You attack with this lizard. It's bigger. It's fantastic. They've had they've created a lot of Rootwallas that are based off this, which is fantastic. It's a classic archetype, and I'm very sad that, you know, in the year 2021, we finally have a replacement for it. And it's not even cool. It's all right. Direwolf Prowler, they're trying to make it real cool. It's not that cool. You're not that cool, Direwolf Prowler. Get out of here. Wow, aggressive. <laughs> okay. The next one is Raven Feeblement, which is one black for an instant. Target creature gets minus four, minus one until end of turn. If that creature is white, however, it gets minus four, minus four until end of turn instead. This obsolete Ring Flesh. Ring Flesh was originally printed in Magic 2012. For one black, it gets target creature gets minus three, minus one until end of turn, and it's an instant. Yeah, this is just better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody's playing Ring Flesh anyway. You could just disfigure if you wanted to, but... I don't know. This is the direct replacement if you really wanted to decrease power. And man, if you get anywhere near a white creature with Ray of Enfeeblement, feel pretty good. Also, you know, anytime I see a card that starts with Ray, I think of like a person named Ray. You ever feel that? Yeah, it's kind it's of a shame about Ray. <laughs> Everybody loves Ray of Enfeeblement. Next one is Shortcut Seeker. Three and a blue for a 2-5 human rogue at common. When it deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. This is just a straight improvement on... The vanilla three and a blue two fives we already had. Wishcoin Crab is a crab. Headwater Sentries from Ixalan is a Merfolk Warrior. So, yeah, they just had no abilities and they were four mana two fives. And now we have one that may actually have an incentive to attack once in a while. So this is where it's going to be interesting in the future because we're going to see this in five years. And we're going to have to remember what venturing into a dungeon is and whether that's good or not. You're just going to have it in a random stack of cards in your battle box or your Gow cube. And you're going to be like, well, I have three choices. I can gain a life, I can scry one, or each player can lose a life. And you'll know, even if your opponent doesn't. You're assuming a lot here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our next card that obsoletes others is Soul Knife Spy. Soul Knife Spy is two and a blue for a 3-2 elf rogue. Whenever Soul Knife Spy deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. A Soul Knife Spy obsoletes three mana blue creatures that draw a card when they deal combat damage. Specifically, we have Stealer of Secrets, which is originally printed in Return to Ravnica, which is the same thing, except it's a 2-2 instead of a 3-2. And also Nine-Tail White Fox, which is the same thing. It's a 2-2 instead of a 3-2, but it's a fox spirit, so go nuts. Last one for this set. This is not a lot. No. But the last one is You're Ambushed on the Road, one of these modal cards we talked about earlier. It is a single white for an instant. At common, it says choose one, make a retreat. Return target creature you control to its owner's hand, or stand and fight. Target creature gets plus one, plus three until end of turn. This is just a strictly better version of Alley Evasion from Aether Revolt, which was a fine card in its own right. Same thing, same choices, no flavor words, but it only can give a creature you control plus one, plus two until end of turn. Also worth noting that your ambush on the road can give your opponent's creature plus one, plus three. So, you know, more choices. More choices. <laughs> it's those incremental choices that'll get you. 
So that's it. I couldn't find any others. Listeners, if we missed some, feel free to reach out to us. What old cards are you going to be throwing directly in the garbage? Yeah. Because of D ampersand D A F R. That's that's how magic works. New set comes out, you throw cards in the garbage. Hey, have you gotten the new monster manual yet? I have not. What new wild monsters have they added? Uh, I'm pretty sure I thought chicken elemental in this one. That should be fun to fight. Rad. So new creature types. We've got some new creature types. First of all, Bard. We know Bards in Magic. And uh, three old cards with Bard in the name are now also Bards. In, unfortunately, Yisan the Wanderer Bard, now officially a Bard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know what we're adding by this other than making this more obtuse, but okay. Well, I will note that now Jiraga Bard from Zendikar has four creature types. Joining the only... Seat and Scout as four creature type creatures. Yeah. That's pretty it's cool. The only, it's the only positive out of all of this. Yeah. Alright. Uh, yeah. Beholder. We now have Beholders. Classic D&D type. Citizen. There are two citizens in the set. Prosperous Innkeeper and Skullport Merchant. I believe Citizen only existed on tokens from Plainwide Celebration from War of the Spark. Yeah, and there was also ref- cards like Acacian Citizen and stuff like that. Or they refer, I don't know. This is like really old Fallen Empire stuff that no one cares about. Even I don't care about it, and I supposedly am supposed to care about all this stuff. Interesting, yeah. Acacian Citizen, not a citizen. Creature type errata incoming? Incoming. I will say this, though. If they're citizens, does that mean we need to draw out rules of war so that, like, citizens can't be the target of certain war type effects and magic cards? It's a good question. Wow. I'm asking the questions that people want answers to. Listeners, if you wanted an answer to that question, please tweet at us and let Christian know that he's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, it was, the card was Ication Crier from Time Spiral, and it made 1-1 Citizen tokens. So that and Plainwide Celebration. Wow. Yeah, dead on. Nailed it. Geneva Conventions and coming to Magic the Gathering. Speaking of Geneva Conventions, Knolls uh, are now a thing. So hooray for us. Yeah, can you explain to me what a Knoll is? I couldn't if you if I had to. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was... It's like a creature that's like furry, but it's not like a werewolf. Yeah, they know. look like hyena people. That's what I'm guessing. But you know, we should probably just move on before we offend somebody. Uh, halflings. Yes. People were wondering if they were going to do actual halflings because we already had Kithkin, but halflings are flavorful here. We had Kithkin. We're just yeah. muddying the waters. Yeah. Well, Kithkin are only on Lorwyn, my friend. Uh, we have a hamster. Yeah. A Go for the eyes, Boo. Token. Go for yep. the eyes. Uh, Minsk and Boo, if you don't know, are from the Baldur's Gate video games. They could have also been in books. I, you know, I, I'm not that deep in the hole, but doesn't matter. Minsk is. Yeah, so Minsk is this human ranger that you are have. He's in your party for all the Baldur's Gate games, and he's a bit dumb, but he's a great guy. He has a hamster who he insists is from space, who's also a giant, which that's pretty awesome. And he's just, he just wants to cool, be chill with his hamster and attack people. Like, who attacks people? It's great. Play yeah. Baldur's Gate. It's fantastic. If I recall correctly, he is a miniature giant space hamster. That kind is like absolutely jum- correct. The jumbo shrimp of the D&D world. Yes. Absolutely correct. I just, I just have these memories of uh, the, the voice acting of Minsk yelling like, Go for the eyes, Boo! Go for the eyes! Go for the eyes! <laughs> yeah. Minsk and Boo stand ready. Those are uh, those are uh, voice acting for this episode. Yes. We've done far too much of that already. All right, and we have tieflings, which are kind of like demon people. Uh, so another D and D creature type. Yeah, totally worth it. We had them. They, they're called Azra. 
Oh yeah, we did have Azure, but again, only on the World of Battle Bond, which was Lauren. I don't know. It's pro wrestling world. That's all I care about. The cool thing about uh, this D and D set is they did some really great stuff with the existing creature types. So, for example, Dragonborn, who are born of dragons, are just dragons, and half elves are human elves, which is what they are essentially in D and D lore. So you have that whole idea of it's like half human, half elf. Really, yeah. it's pretty cool. It's really flavorful. Uh, also, another bit of old creature errata. I thought Ranger was a new card type in this set. But we missed they snuck Ranger into Modern Horizons 2. Quirion Ranger and Ranger Captain of Eos on the, the Modern Horizons 1, you know, foil print, the old border print, were Rangers. And so they've now eroded 23 old cards with Ranger in the name to make them Rangers. I will note that like Jiraga Bard and Seton Scout, now Daybreak Ranger, Ranger on Vec, and Turn Timber Ranger all have four creature types. I don't know how they're going to fit Human Archer Werewolf Ranger on a type line, so maybe no Daybreak Ranger reprint ever incoming. They're going to have like a Esmor and Amartika Dicey to Coldicar level problem with fitting those on a line because <laughs> they refuse to take any away. Um, the big win here for me is Kelsinko Ranger is once again a Ranger as it was in its original printing back in Ice Age. Right. We've come full circle. Also, I think Brian Kibler is happy that his investment of Daybreak Rangers is still sound, that they're never going to reprint mm. it. And, you know, more power to Mr. Kibler. So. Well done. He's got to be loving that. Between that, that and all the dragons in this set? Ah, it's fantastic. Uh, so some notable type combinations. This is always great. Always the flavor melange that we like to talk about. So Tiamat is a dragon god. Uh, Grandmaster of Flowers, as we said earlier, turns into a dragon god because he's Bahamut. You know, we've never had a real dragon god before. And you know who's really mad about this? The one character in the Magic Universe? The guy who called himself a dragon god on a card, maybe? Yeah, 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 Nickel Bolas. <laughs> Sorry, Nikki B. We have some real dragon gods around. Good try. Enjoy the meditation realm. Sucka. Sucka. Pew, pew, pew. We also have Asmodeus the Archfiend, which is a devil god. In addition to being totally metal, that is another new combo and yet another card for your god tribal deck. Absolutely. Drider, yes, I said that correctly. Drider is an elf spider, which makes sense in D&D purposes because it's a drow spider. Uh, but yeah, kind of gross in the first one to ever exist. Yeah, uh, Hobgoblin Captain. That's our first ever goblin barbarian, which seems like a little bit of a surprise. A lot of warriors, but uh, no barbarians. Nice little card, well, too. But isn't that an oxymoron? Because aren't all goblins barbarians? Wow. Wow, Christian. Stereotypes. Sheesh. That's what I'm here for. Uh, the Gitrog Monster finally has some kin. I mentioned a frog hemoth earlier. It's our second ever frog horror. And yeah, look at that art. That is uh, beautiful. Owl bear is a bird bear. It's what's on the tin. <laughs> I, I love seeing Morrow's preview for this set where, you know, he says, here's a bunch of things that are in the set and gives you like a line of text or something. And he's like, you know, there's a creature type bird bear. And I'm like, oh, it's an owl bear. Yeah, Everyone said owl bear. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. we have an owl bear. That's great. I think we know. We have our first giant barbarian in the game in Zalto Fire Giant Duke. And, uh, yeah, another great creature type combination that's funny to say with giant. Yeah. When they're they're all get... good. A any giant anything? Uh, it's a giant wizard? I don't know. I, I, I just love it's it. It's great. Giant badger? Yeah, that's a big mm -hmm. badger. 
<laughs> we have our first kobold in a standard slash type 2 legal set. I say that specifically because our last standard slash type 2 legal kobolds were in Legends way back in the day. Rograk, which was in Commander Legends, did not unfortunately go into standard. It's only legacy playable and older. And, man, really just keeping up with the... We got a very cheap zero one one here as a kobold. Perfect. Zero Perfect. one mana for zero one. Yes. Brazen Dwarf continues a growing lineage of dwarf shamans that recently got restarted in Strixhaven with Stormkiln Artist and Twin Scroll Shaman. The first one was way back in Weatherlight, Dwarven Thaumaturgist. You know, I am really pro the increase in dwarves in Magic of all occupations. Yeah, you know, they kind of dropped off the map in Odyssey, and that's not cool, man. We've wanted dwarves. Dwarves have been a mainstay of magic lore for years, even though it makes zero sense. Zero sense for this for this in our world. Doesn't matter. we got to include them. Yeah. It's cool. Just, they're cool dudes. Cool people, I should say. Cool, cool people. That's true. Not, not all dudes, for sure. Uh, we also have some unique things in colors in this set. We've got three mono-blue elves. Never had mono-blue elves before weird i've got one that tilts me a little bit so every manticore in magic has been red chromanticore was all five colors and then sawback manticore was red green but they've all been red so now we finally get a card just called manticore and it's black what 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 is up with that manticores are red they've got like lion's heads and bat's wings and scorpion's tails and they're weird things and they're chaotic and all of a sudden it's like no 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 we we're, we're black now are we changing this going forward? I don't like it. Like Chris Paul, someone at Wizards dropped the ball when it mattered. Wow. R.I.P. Chris Paul. Glad he didn't get a title. What? what? We have our first mono blue skeleton, which is Demi Lich. We have our second mono red skeleton, Flame Skull, ever created. The first mono red skeleton, by the way, was all the way back in Shards of Alara. Here's a question for you, Dave. What color doesn't have a monocolored skeleton in it? doesn't have a monocolored skeleton it's got to be white you're correct but can you name the green one the green skeleton um is it only a skeleton or does it have another creature type has another creature type is it a plant skeleton no no it's called it's called gari group troll oh okay that makes sense yeah it's a troll skeleton that makes sense. So Okay, yeah, I would not have guessed that Golgari Drake Grave Troll was actually a skeleton. I guess I should have looked more closely at that art because, yeah, totally a skeleton. Yeah, and it's been a skeleton troll or troll skeleton since it was printed, so it wasn't like it was eroded. You know, people just kind of forget. They just see the Dredge 6, and they're like, whoa, and they wow. just ignore everything else. Lastly, gnomes. This is a big deal. Gnomes are now in blue and white. We have two blue gnomes and a white gnome in adventures of the D adventures of the forgotten realms um and also a blue one in the commander set but this is crazy because outside of one weird one which is quorum trench gnomes and legends every other gnome has been a artifact creature hmm. so gnomes are finally a race that aren't just made up from robots it's it's uh it's a great day in gnome uh recognition yeah. that's interesting i you know i would have thought of bottle gnomes and patchwork gnomes but I didn't realize that I guess all of the gnomes were just constructs, and I guess now we know what they're based on. So maybe this will be uh, a new beginning for gnomes across all of magic, not just uh, in the Forgotten Realms. I hope so. Hope we see some gnomes in different colors. 
So tokens, uh, there are some interesting tokens in this set. Icing Death Frost Tongue, the sword you get when Icing Death Frost Tyrant dies, is only the second ever legendary artifact token after Tuk Tuk the Returned, which makes it the first ever legendary equipment token. And by the way, this is also one of five legendary tokens in this set. There were only 10 before the set. But here we've got Boo, as we mentioned, he's going for the eyes. We've got, yep. I'm assuming this is pronounced Guinevere, Drizzit's cat. Any idea? Okay. It's made up. Who cares? Okay. Icy Death, Frost Tongue, uh, the Atropal, which yep. you get for finishing the Tomb of Annihilation, and then Vecna, which you yep. get for combining the hand and eye and other thing of Vecna? The Book of uh the book of many oh the book of vile darkness yeah vile darkness yeah, yeah. sorry i was thinking the face of vecna and i'm like that's definitely not right no but, you know, be a weird thing to have yeah we've gotten a bunch of these in recent years after not really having many outside of like merit lage for a long time well the original is sting right uh sting twin yeah and then they've slowly added more of these as the years have gone by i think i think really it there's technically voya way back in the day with ravnica but mm -hmm. it was there was an official token much like stang was an official token but right tuk tuk was kind of the idea to add tokens of this like merit lage was a token but it's only you could only get a special version of it it was like you right. had to do well at a tournament if i remember correctly and but no everything's been open the floodgates and now we have you know things like mowu poor mowu such a good oh, dog love mowu mowu speaking of good dogs uh, Mordenkainen, the Planeswalker, makes dog illusion tokens, which for me begs the question, is it still a good dog if you can't give it pets? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. I guess dogs. actually you can give it pets, because the dogs that Mordenkainen makes don't have the thing where if you target it with a spell or ability, it, it, sacrifices it disappears. It. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. Man, if the if the dog illusions had the illusion drawback... And you went to pet the dog, and the dog just vanished? Oh, that would be... This would be the worst set in the history of Magic if they had that <laughs> happened. That's the one change. I'd be like, nope, you can't pet the dog. Terrible set. Awful. Wow, I'm mad at myself for even thinking something so horrible. <laughs> uh, we also have a really interesting... Uh, another precedent we set, Mimic is the first non-token treasure. You know, closely followed following Parcel Mirror, which was a clue creature... And gender brute, which is a food creature. So, yeah. you know, they're getting around to adding t token subtypes to artifacts is pretty cool. As your muscles tighten with repeated blows to the guards, you realize your strength increases with every battle. The effects of the magic from the wizard certainly help, but we can't give spellcasters all the credit for your glorious strength. That's right. Sometimes you get that glorious strength from counters. And we're going to do our little counter roundup. There are three cards in the set with unique counter types. First of all, the Book of Exalted Deeds, which Ugh. was banned in Standard 2022 on Arena because of the interaction with Faceless Haven, uh, has Enlightened Counters. Yes. Uh, the Enlightened Counter gives the angel the ability if you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game, so Platinum Angel. Uh, this is notable because this might be the... Is it really the first card they ever banned before there was a paper printing of it released in the world in a format? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't actually know the answer. I think I, so. There have been cards that have banned like week one, but this was definitely banned before P paper versions was of it. released. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Uh, another one we have harmony counters on instrument of the bards. Um, they basically 
for every harmony counter in instrument of the bards, it allows you to search for a creature with this, the mana value with the same number of harmony counters on it, and you put it into your hand. Uh, if it's legendary, you create a tre treasure token on top of it. Yeah. A little surprised this was at first counter. It's just because of the use on the Wanderer Bard thing, but harmony counter does make a lot more sense. Well, also, there were verse counters, you know, back in Urza Saga, and it yeah. would have been flavorful sure. to tie that in, but, you know, what do we know? A lot, it turns out. Well, a finally, lot. we have void counters. That's on Sphere of Annihilation, the X in a black rare artifact, where it enters with X void counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, you XL Sphere of Annihilation. All creatures and Planeswalkers of mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it, and all creature and Planeswalker cards in all graveyards with the same. So, it, that card's a delayed wrath, but void counters uh, all sound pretty badass, so I'm kind of into yeah. it. Yeah, um, more, more, more void counters. That'd be great. Wow, these books look incredibly old. Incredibly old. What is this, copyright 1989? Son, there's nothing wrong with these rules. You and your simplified new editions. Dad, what's Thaco? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the new school, the special frames. Yes. We have the usual extended art rares from Collector Boosties. Uh, pretty on board, still love them. Yes. We have the alternate art borderless treatment on the Planeswalkers and on the traditional read non-Dragonborn dragons in the set. Both the uncommon and the mythic cycles as well as the two multicolored dragons. Still pretty hype for those. Mm, yes, still looking good. So we have two unique ones this time. The first is the collection of rulebook cards that look like old illustrations from the Monster Manual and the other old guidebooks. And these are all creatures except for the Mimic, which real dungeon delvers know is absolutely a creature. Uh, what do you think about those? I think they're fantastic. It's a good tie-in to the history of D&D. They really did copy a lot of the old Monster Manual, like from 1970-something. It's just a great throwback. I'm a huge fan of them. Yeah, I didn't know what I thought about them, and then when I first played with them in person, I'm like, no, these are these are very cool. Yep. We also have the module cards, nine lands, including the five rare creature lands, that look like old D&D module books. What do you think about these? They're really cool. Like, I could see people trying to alter their cards anyway to be like it, but it, it was something I didn't like at first. But the more I looked at them, the more they grew on me, and it was just makes it very unique for this set. I think this is the only benefit of having universes beyond is that you can do some sort of call out like that, especially with the rule book cards too, that really tie in with the flavor of it. And it, it is a home run in that regard. Yeah, these are another thing that look really cool in person. It turns out that any borderless card looks kind of cool in the end. Um, they have grown on me a little bit. I have had the chance to play with both of these types of cards in person and have seen the foiling on them. And the foiling is what really makes it for me. So the rule book cards only the splash of color behind the creature is foil. Ooh. And then on the module cards, it's only the art of the module card and then the little banner in the upper left corner. <sighs> and this is something that I think they could have easily overdone or screwed up, but they all look really cool. And even if I'm not running to own all of these, I think that they do en enhance and enrich the set. Absolutely. As you open the door, the room is inky black. You sense an evil presence lurking inside. I step forward, preparing to do a headlong rush into the room. <laughs> okay, roll for initiative. Ugh. Yeah, don't rush into a room. Don't attack with your flyers unless you read your opponent's battlefield carefully. We gotta talk about the secret reach card in the set. So, as you know, many sets feature creatures that for some reason nobody notices have reach and willingly just 
Shump attack their flyers right into. So Master Symmetrist from Strixhaven, uh, Jasper Sentinel from Kaldheim. Those cards both ate a lot of my little flying friends. What do you think it will be this time around? I think I'm going to go with Drider only because black having reach is such a bend of the color pie that you don't expect it. Yeah, uh, 100% for me it's Drider. Black cards just rarely have reach. And as a bonus, it makes two on spiders that also have reach, which at some point I'm going to be thinking, oh yeah, the spiders have menace, I got to watch out. But they have reach. And if one of those spiders is on the battlefield and the Drider has since left the battlefield, you're definitely going to forget and you're just going to be running into it. You know, all of the other cards in this set are green and they kind of look like they have reach. So yeah, it's Drider. Drider yeah. and the spiders, or the Lolf spiders, which are the same as the Drider spiders. Drider spider, Drider spider, Drider spider. Drider spider. <laughs> you look over the tome and start pronouncing its name. Necronomicons? Necronomicons? Necronomicanon? You know, whatever, man. It's a dead book. Inspired by our favorite magic tongue twister, Click Slither, Quick Sliver. It's the best tongue twister of the set. So I've got some candidates here. They all win. And they're all obnoxious. I'm going to read win. through these, and you can tell me what you're thinking here. There's Cloister Gargoyle. Gargoyle is always a marbles in the mouth word. Cloister Gargoyle, Cloister Gargoyle. Yeah, no. Yep. Eccentric Apprentice, which sounds a little bit like a Nirvana song. Eccentric Apprentice, Eccentric. Yeah, no. Loyal Warhound. Loyal Warhound, Loyal Warhound, Loyal Warhound, Loyal Warhound. Eh. Okay, not bad. Yeah. Sepulchre Ghoul. Oh, yeah. wow, I can't even say it. Sepulchre nope. Ghoul? Nope, just skip to yeah. the next one. That's the winner. <laughs> okay, how about Shocking Grasp? Shocking Grasp, Shocking Grasp, Shopping Grasp, Shopping Grasp, Shopping Grasp. Sh- You're shopping for grass? Yeah. Christian, you know, that's, I guess that's not, is that illegal where you are? I don't even know. It is technically illegal. It's weird. <laughs> Well, I kind of want to go with sepulchre. Yep, sepulchre ghoul. That's the one Se- for me. Sepulchre, sepulchre ghoul. Sepul- <laughs> okay. sepulchre. Sepulchre ghoul. No, I can't say it one nope. time. Nope. Wizards, Moving on. Why are you doing this? It's done. Screw, screw you, wizards. Your game's dumb. It's for children. Blah. <laughs> All right. So, in honor of a suggestion from our listener, Camilla. We like to go over the, our favorite common, uncommon, and rare that you think is well-designed, exemplify the set, or just excites us one way or another. So why don't we start with common, Dave? What common is getting you excited? Oh, it's Shambling Ghast. Easy. Shambling Ghast is a single black for a 1-1 zombie. When it dies, choose one. You can brave the stench and target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you can search the body and create a treasure token. So I love this first effect. It's the Shambling Goblin, Festering Goblin, Festering Newt effect that makes your 1-1 trade with a 2-2 or kill another 1-1. And that got even better when Festering Mummy made that a minus one, minus one counter. But this card has a fail case of make a treasure if there's no other creatures on the battlefield. And that is great. Also, I love that it continues the either Shambling or Festering naming convention. So I guess we're going to be due for a Festering one the next time around. Yes, I love it. I'm a big fan of this one, too. My choice is Minimus Containment. It's two and a white for an enchantment aura. Enchants a non-land permanent. An enchanted permanent is a treasure artifact with tap sacrifices artifact. Add one man of any color, and it loses all other abilities. So 
I just like it. It's like the arrest variant of this set, but I like how well designed it is because it doesn't leave your opponent completely screwed. Um, it gives them an out per se, but it, it it's essentially a kind of convoluted way to uh, remove a permanent. Uh, what you can do to get around it, I did play this earlier, is if you have something like Teleportation Guide, it can blink the treasure and you get your thing back, which I think is actually pretty flavorful because you are containing this creature into like a small treasure. So this you're breaking it out if you teleport it out of the treasure. Yeah, flavor here is great for D&D too. Minimus Containment is a spell that traps a creature's spirit in a gem. And so it's funny to see the art for this where it's like the little creatures sitting there on the desk like pounding on the gem hopelessly. Right. Do you have an uncommon that you like the best? Yes. I like Cridal of Baldur's Gate. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that correctly, but it's, it looks like Cridal. sounds like Cridal. It's. I keep saying Curdle, like old milk. Just Curdle of Baldur's Gate. I think it's either that's or, definitely honestly. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's blue and a black for a legendary creature human elf rogue. It's a 1-3. When Cridal of Baldur's Gate deals combat damage to a player, that player loses one life and mills a card, then you gain one life and scry one. Whenever you attack, you may pay two generic. If you do, target creature can't be blocked this turn. So it's just really cool as a legend. I, it's a 1-3 that it hits for two. I was playing with this earlier, which is why this got me really excited, because a lot of the uncommons actually didn't really get me that excited, so this is one I wanted to pull out. Um, but I like the fact that it has an ability that even if you don't attack with it, it helps your other creatures yeah. be unblockable, and I think that's a nice little like value bonus for this type of signpost uncommon. That's the big thing for me, is it's not whenever Cridal attacks, it's just whenever you attack. So, you know... Attack with your, your big bad creature and pay two, and it's also unblockable. Super, super powerful. Yes. For me, it's Battlecry Goblin. This is one in a red for a 2-2 Goblin. It has one in a red. Goblins you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain haste until end of turn. And it has pack tactics. Whenever Battlecry Goblin attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power six or greater this combat, create a 1-1 one, one red Goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. There's a lot of play here. I love a good mana 2-2 with upside, and this one has really significant upside, especially if it survives that first attack. There's great flavor here. It, the goblin is making the battle cry. It's bringing other goblins to its cause, especially if there's more uh, creatures that are running into combat with it. And it has interesting play patterns, like decisions and decisions and decisions. Do you pay your one in a red before combat to make this, say, a 3-2, and then attack with it at another 3-3? Do you want to do that a few times? Do you want to wait until after because you get your 1-1 one, one creature token that's tapped and then the 1 in a red also pumps that creature? And so it is kind of an engine if it survives that first attack. You get a couple of goblins into play, then you're attacking and you're making them 2-1s or 3-1s. You know, even if they block this, that gets in some pretty significant damage. It just has the potential to snowball like not a lot of two mana uncommons do and i think that's very cool and very goblin uh, yes. appropriate. i do also like that with a lot of mana it could turn on its own pack tactics which i think is really clever absolutely um yep. it's also one of those rare cards where n normally you see this type of effect it would be other goblins you control or something of that effect mm -hmm. but this pumps itself which is a kind of a rarity it's 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 nice this yeah. would be a rare like 10 years ago <laughs> This is not uncommon. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you pay two and two red, you have a three-two hasty goblin in the late game. So it's not even dead at that point. Yep. Well, okay. what about rare or mythic? We've talked. We talked about this earlier. 
It's Go just... for the eyes, boo! Go for the eyes! Yeah, it's a, it's a mythic this time, but love the flavor of this card. It costs Naya, so red, green, white for a 3-3 legendary human ranger. When Minsk beloved ranger enters the battlefield, create boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. Then you can pay X. Until end of turn, target creature control has base power and toughness XX and becomes a giant. You make Boo a giant in addition to its other types and activate only as a sorcery. Ugh. Yeah. Just, look, if we can't say it enough, we're endorsing that y'all should play Baldur's Gate 2 because it's sort of like um, when there's a video game and the main character, not the, it's like a secondary character turns out to be the best character in the game. Mm-hmm. Minsk is the best character in Baldur's Gate yeah. by a country mile, and it's fantastic. It's just he's so cool. He's so funny, and he's also a badass. So yeah, and he's got mm-hmm. a giant, a miniature giant space hamster that this card lets you turn into a giant. I love that it's only as a sorcery too, because you're gonna want Boo to be giant when you tell him to go for the eyes, not like after he's already gone for the eyes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, the rest of the party holds their breath as the gallant ranger notches one last arrow. It's a natural 20. Huh. All right, well, roll your d8 twice for this attack. Okay, I got a 5 and a 7. The arrow flies true through the blood ogre's left eye, staggering it backward and immediately falling down. The party cheers, glad that they survived a gruesome battle to the end of the dungeon. Yay! Yay Woo! All right, that is our show about Adventures from the Forgotten Realms. Before we go, I just want to shout out D and D in general. I had never played Dungeons and Dragons until about two years ago. A friend of mine from high school sent a message to a bunch of us and said, "Hey, I think it would be cool if we could all stay in touch by playing Dungeons and Dragons." I know none of you have ever done it before. I've never done it before, but he was willing to DM. And so we did it. And we he lives across the country from most of the rest of us. And so we started doing it on Google Meet. And we're still doing it on Google Meet. We are now level 20 characters. It's been a two-year-long campaign. We started bi-weekly. Now we're going every single week through the pandemic. And it's been great. I'm looking forward to wrapping up this campaign. We're going to start a, a new one back at level one with one of the other players DMing. It has been a great way to keep in touch with people it is much less about dice rolling than i thought it was we've got a wonderful creative dm and it has made this set speak to me in a a bunch of different ways i'm kind of surprised having played it that i have never played dungeons and dragons until the last couple years it's just like right up my alley yeah i've always i've tried dungeon dragons i've played the video games as a kid I'm a big fan. It's just one of those things. It's like magic. You need people. And it's worth taking the risk to go find your people to, to play it. And um, I'm not invited to any of my friends' games, which probably says more about me than my friends or my friends and me. I don't know. <laughs> but it's one of those things. It is a commitment, but yeah. it's fun. Like, and it's really had a kind of a renaissance in the past four years. Like, it's been yeah. real. people are really picking it up, and people who normally wouldn't have thought to play it, they now have, at least like you and... I have friends in the same boat. They have regular campaigns now, and they wouldn't have conceived of that seven years ago. No, I wouldn't have been able to do it if not for the technology angle and being able to do it after my children go to bed. Yes. So staying up late one night a week for for that purpose, maybe another night a week to record a podcast, you know. 
various uh, various times. But it's been great. Uh, throughout this, my Dragonborn Paladin ate a Mind Flayer once. That didn't go very well for him. Uh, we killed a Tarrasque last week. A giant, you know, horrifying dinosaur thing. I mean, I spent most of the combat in its stomach, so I assume that my teammates were... My party were <laughs> doing good things on the outside, but just hacking and slashing away, hoping I could uh, get out of there and somehow made it out thanks to some uh, some crafty moves by our cleric but yeah it's great it's a, it's a lot of story time a lot of fun highly recommended if you're interested talk to your friends about it yes we are not sponsored by wizards of the coast i realize this is a magic podcast and i'm like praising D, but yeah we can't even get a pronunciation guide from wizards so trust me <laughs> they're not giving us anything else <laughs> no they're not <laughs> even if we ask nicely <laughs> no all right wait did, did you get your cooler your, your, your cooler with the bag of uh, gear and all the secret layers? I was hoping you a did. content creator? Yeah, I was hoping you did. I'm, I'm waiting in the mail every day. Okay. Well, when, you know what? When mine comes, I'll, I'll share. Okay. I'll share. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at our handle, at MemoryJarMTG. We would love your feedback. I want your D&D stories. I want your achievements unlocked from the AFR format. And tell us what cards you want to remember. Again, special thanks to Chris Yates for the logo. We greatly appreciate it. Also, happy birthday, Chris. Uh, you can find Chris on Twitter at, at CMYCompany. That's company with a K. And until next time, do roll an initiative check and uh, make sure you are packing ropes and torches and don't split the party.